Hello, good morning, and welcome. It's Friday, the 16th of October, 2020, and we're back with episode 165. A rather unusual episode, this, because, uh, well, so I was recently invited to attend uh, an online event next week with the impossibly awesome name Curbivore. And it's about all things involving kind of the intersection between the dire straits in which the restaurant and food industry generally have found themselves since COVID blew up in our collective faces and the ways in which the autonomous delivery industry and really mobility more broadly is kind of stepping in to help smooth things out, more or less anyway. And um, just to give a bit of background on this, so... I recently became acquainted with Harry Campbell, if that name sounds at all familiar. That's because, well, you probably know him as the rideshare guy, especially if you are if you are a driver in a ride-sharing company, be it Uber, Lyft, or otherwise, chances are you absolutely do listen to this podcast. Really great stuff there. And uh, so basically, Harry, the rideshare guy, uh, and a colleague of his, Jonah Bliss, formerly from Turo, have recently got together and they've decided it'd be a really great thing to put together this event called, yeah, Curbivore, which I uh, still can't get over just how awesome the name is. It is the inaugural event. And by the way, I should make repeatedly, redundantly, abundantly clear, this is not a sponsored episode in any way, shape, or form. But when I was invited to the event and I discovered what it was about, I realized it was, you know, really looks to be a fantastic thing. The speaker lineup is really something. It's just a fantastic sort of, as I describe in the podcast, actually kind of a great cross-section of folks from the restaurant industry, the technology space, um, municipalities generally. So it's, it really looks to be a great thing. It's spanning two days uh, next week, the 20th and 21st of October. You can uh, check out the event over at curbivore.co. That's C-U-R-B-I-V-O-R-E.co. Uh, registration is free. So um, yeah, definitely check it out. I think it really looks to be a great thing. Um, but anyway, so the idea was uh, Harry suggested that Jonah and I have a bit of a chat leading up to this event. So, of course, I was happy to oblige. And so what follows next then is really kind of a 30-minute, uh, kind of a pretty deep dive, actually, on all things, indeed, impacting the restaurant and food industry generally. And again, that sort of intersection, as it were, between yeah the food industry and all things mobility. So hope you're sitting comfortably. Let's dive in and get started. But please, just a friendly reminder, if you are a fan of this podcast, please don't forget to drop me five stars on Apple Podcasts. And of course, be sure to check us out at hogandco.com. That's H-O-A-G-A-N-D-C-O.com. And you can follow me on all social media at Autonomous Hogue. Let's dive in and get started. Episode 165, Jonah Bliss, Curbivore, begins now. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. All right. Well, well, look. So this is this is pretty neat. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I was first introduced to Harry over at 
I guess I'll use the full, he is literally the rideshare guy uh, a while back. We had a great chat. And then, of course, he recently invited me to this new Curbivore event through which, or because of which, I guess, I've now been introduced to you. And I say this rather affectionately. I think uh, you've caught me at a bit of a disadvantage. I mean, usually with podcasts, as everybody knows, I never pre-script anything. I never prepare questions in advance, <laughs> but at least I kind of have a general idea of, of, of kind of what's what. So I'm really happy to do, frankly, a lot more listening and less talking. And really, I'd love to kind of start from the top, understand kind of where Curbivore came from, your, I guess, role in the soul ecosystem, and I guess, crucially and most important, kind of what the goal is. Because if I'm not mistaken, this is the first event, this is the first Curbivore event. Ever. Yes, it's it's the very first Curbivore anything ever. Um, <laughs> Which, by the way, brilliant name. Whoever came up with that, plus one. Awesome. Thank you. That, that was me. I wasn't even stoned. Boom. It just uh, came off the top of my head. <laughs> very cool. Um, no, I, I mean, yeah. So thank you for having me on. I think, um, honestly, we're, we're almost as, uh, you know, just figuring this out as we go too. But um, yeah, I'll start with a little bit of background about myself. Um you know, about Harry, who you know, and, and then kind of what drew us to this project. Um, you know, I have always sort of, you know, worked in the fields of, you know, what we might call alternative transportation or, you know, weird mobility or, or just trying to solve, you know, how people get about cities in more sustainable, pleasant, affordable solutions. You know, basically anything that's not just us all sitting in traffic behind our single occupancy SUV. Um, so, you know, right. cut my teeth. Um, Way back in the day, kind of as, as part of the initial team that patented and launched Turo, if you're familiar with them, the kind of oh, pure car really? sharing. Yeah. 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 And so this was way back Very when cool. it was uh, meant to be more of like a, almost like a kind of uh, funkier zip car. You know, the original idea really was just like, I have a Prius, I'm not using it. You want to borrow it, you know, come, come unlock it. Uh, it's, it's since kind of morphed into a little bit more of a luxurious, uh, like, Ooh, I want to, you know, try a Tesla for the weekend or, you know, I was just going to say, no, I'm super familiar with Turo. Yeah. We have some, we have a bunch of friends who've used it a bunch. We've personally, we never had a need to use it yet, but we're certainly very familiar with it. Um, I think it's a great, a great company, what you guys have done with this. Uh, so yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it was a much scrappier thing back in the day, but it's very cool to see what it's become. Yeah. Um, but so, yes, yeah, since then, you know, I've, I've uh, you know, worked to launch a direct-to-consumer e-bike brand. I've done, you know, kind of consulted with long-distance ride-sharing companies. So I've kind of just, you know, dabbled all over the world of, like I said, weirdo mobility, um, for lack of a better term. Um, you know, I've kind of had some stints. I, I like that, that, actually. It's a nice play on the usual term, wired mobility or lack thereof, but uh, weird <laughs> mobility works. I like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, I've, yeah, I've also done, you know, some media stuff, whether it's, you know, sort of more journalism news content or, um, uh, events and, and various kind of convenings of people. Um, so that's, that's just always been kind of like a passion of mine. And, you know, because of that, I, I got to know cool people like Harry Campbell, the rideshare guy, um, you know, other friends at, you know, micromobility industries, um, and whatnot. But yeah, I, I would say turning to Curbivore. Um, it's obviously been anyone that's uh, been awake for the last eight months knows there's a, a pretty uh, strange shift happening in the world, but especially in our sort of you know denser, more interesting cities as we deal with the kind of ramifications of the pandemic. Um, and so, you know, me being someone that cares about cities, I think of the kind of you know the local institutions, you know, the, the mom and pop shops, whether it's like your favorite sushi restaurant or just a 
you know, little clothing store where you just go and you know, get something interesting. That's really the the flavor and the culture of our cities. That, yeah, that's what makes them interesting. Um, you know, no shade to anyone that enjoys going to like a Chili's or a TGI Fridays, <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's the local businesses and those are the ones that are especially struggling right now. You know, they don't really have the capitalization to necessarily weather this storm to make the changes you need. Um, and so just, you know, between observing that, between having friends that either, you know, run restaurants and cafes or even just you know, work in kind of hospitality and service industries and seeing how much they're struggling, I just thought like, darn, like someone's got to do something about this. And if no one else is doing it, maybe it should be me. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, and yeah. Yeah, so so just you know, kind of bounce the idea off some friends. We thought, hey, let's do this. Let's kind of get everyone in the same room. So whether that's you know restaurant tours, that's you know people doing food tech. We've got the the CEO of Chow now who's going to be speaking. Um, you know, chefs, people from cities. Um, you know, also of course got to have people well, from. I think I told you I saw the uh, manager from Austria, Moza. Did I mention this to you or to to, to Harry? Uh, which is pretty neat because I mean, my wife and I are a huge fan of uh, Pizzeria Moza, their sister restaurant yeah. next door. Every time we go back to LA, yeah, we, we make a beeline right for that spot. So, uh, yeah, I mean, cool. I, it's funny. I, I live like a mile and a half from that restaurant, so I've, <laughs> I share your passion yeah, cool. for the pizza. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, um, it's that spot and Little Taroni uh, in West Hollywood. Yeah, great, great spots. Okay, all of those. It sounds like awesome. you're you are yeah. in my stomping grounds a lot. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, um, but but so it's. You know, at the end of the day, it's it's everybody eats and everybody uses the curb. And in a sense, even if you're not, even if you've been like the best COVID hermit and you've not left your house for the last eight months, you're still using the curb. You're just outsourcing that work. You know, someone is yep. delivering that food for you, whether it's a person, a, you know, a kind of autonomous little delivery bot, uh, even if it's just, you know, the mail person that's dropping off packages, that's all curb uses. Um, and yeah, you know, that's become a really hotly contested space even pre-pandemic. You know, we had Ubers dropping people off. We had, you know, birds and limes trying to make little drop-off pods for their scooters. Yep. Um, you know, we already saw people trying to rethink what the lane closest to the curb was used for, whether that was, you know, a parklet or a bus lane or a bike lane. And now we're also trying to ask, you know, if we want our restaurants to survive, hey, you have to use this space too. <laughs> Um, and so there's just a really important question about how do we allocate this pretty scant public space without, you know, privatizing it? How do we keep it so that even if you're not trying to eat, you can still use it for recreation, for walking, for pushing a stroller, but at the same time, you know, how do we keep just the beloved little local cultural institutions that make our cities interesting? How do we keep them alive? Um, and so that's, I don't know, that's, that's kind of what we thought, Hey, we need to get these people in the same room. Obviously it's going to be a virtual room, but that's what Curbivore is all about. Yeah, so just to be clear, so Curbivore itself is basically, again, this is the inaugural event, I guess, right? So the idea is that what, henceforth, every few months or or what, the idea is to bring together folks in this space and just sort of lead a kind of roundtable of thought leadership and how to kind of optimize the weird world we're living in now or what? Yeah, I, I mean, our thought, uh, <laughs> you've put almost as much thought into it as I have in terms of what comes next. Uh, <laughs> our thought was really, let's do this. Let's see what happens. Yeah, happens if yeah. people like it, we'll keep going. And if not, if it's just like, hey, uh, one was great. We learned something and we solved the world's problems, <laughs> which probably won't happen. Uh, uh, you know, high ambition. But um, I, I think this is really a, a little bit of a the trial balloon, right? Like we're excited about this. Everyone's been really excited about it, which has been super encouraging to see. 
But then it's as much about, you know, what the audience wants, what the feedback is, and that will help kind of determine what, if anything, comes next. You know, do people want right. this to become a, a regular convening? Do they want just resources to figure out how to, you know, if, if you run a restaurant to learn how to make your outdoor dining experience pleasant or how to make sure your delivery, you know, profit margin is sustainable? Um, there's just so many questions, and I, I think we're going to learn as much as anyone else about how to help solve this problem. Yeah, I mean, what I think is super cool and what intrigued me the most, though, is your list of speakers, how it's such an awesome cross-section of kind of all the different elements that need to come together to get this right. Meaning you've got the restaurant people, you've got the government sort of municipality body type people, you've got some tech companies in there as well. Like it's a really, so, so my point being that I feel like usually when you've got these kind of events trying to solve these huge problems, as it were, I feel like they tend to kind of zoom in on only one sort of speaker type. You know, it's usually a bunch of tech folks mm -hmm. or it's a bunch of kind of uh, municipality folks or whatever. But I think the fact that you guys have brought together this really disparate, like I said, cross-section, that's pretty huge to get these kinds of people in the same room. That's essential. You can't do this in isolation, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you. I appreciate, I mean, especially coming from you, that's, that's uh, high praise. But yeah, I mean, honestly, that was part of what intrigued us initially is that, you know, it's not like we were the first people to realize uh, like that there was a problem outside. Um, but what we noticed was that a lot of people were still sort of, you know, stuck in their silos. So the restaurant people were talking to the restaurant people, the city people were talking to the city yeah. people, the transportation people were just talking about transportation. But this is such a, an intersection for, <laughs> you know, use a bad pun of, uh, you know, <laughs> interests and priorities and uh, problems that it just, yeah, you can't solve this without getting everyone in the same room. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, totally. So, so this is obviously a thing I've talked about quite a lot on the podcast. I mean, this greater issue currently ever since COVID blew up in our face, collective faces um, back in what, February, I guess. I mean, this, this notion of kind of what happens next and just looping it back for a bit to the overarching theme, obviously, of this podcast, which is obviously the AV space generally and kind of the broader, the more broadly defined mobility space, a portion of which you guys are trying to tackle and address and hopefully eventually really help solve. Um you know, it, it has been a big question is like, what do you do? And we've obviously heard a lot of, there's been a lot of discussion of, yeah. let's just pick on autonomous vehicles as a broad technological sector for a moment. I mean, that it's become kind of almost less popular. Uh, we've heard of companies scaling back their testing. We've heard of mm -hmm. kind of, oh, things are going to take longer than we anticipated. And oh yeah, because COVID, then we're not going to be doing any more testing. And I've often said the opposite, which is sort of two points, right? So first is, what better time to kind of fast track autonomy, at least as far as human transport, the way that Waymo has now just surprised the world by rolling out officially, officially in Arizona, mm -hmm. you know, especially because of COVID, you don't want to be in a car with another person. My parents are in their eighties. My dad had a stroke a year ago. He's more or less recovered, but even so, I definitely do not want my parents getting in a car with another driver. Um, so wouldn't this be something? And secondly, to the point of, well, yeah, restaurants, so we've seen so many cities around the world shut down tens and even hundreds of miles of city streets and pedestrianizing them, right? And 
you know, it just kind of makes you wonder why the heck don't we just keep it that way? You don't need cars driving down the streets, which have otherwise perfectly walkable sort of restaurant community sort of blocks, right? I mean, one thing yeah. I've always, that's always blown my mind is how, you know, I, I know it's, I read a fascinating history about them, which I had not known previously, but the kind of tumultuous background on LA's, or I should say Santa Monica's beloved Third Street Promenade, which was a really big deal then. And then it kind of had a slump and now it's come back in a pretty big way, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I've always loved it. But what it blows my mind is, gosh, huge LA, car loving LA managed to make this work more or less. And weirdly in San Francisco, we've never done that until now. Now suddenly San Francisco, which has always been hailed as being the you know, the more European city, whatever that means, is uh, suddenly pedestrianizing more of its streets. And it's, well, like, yeah, why did it take a pandemic to make cities realize they could just do this? I mean, it does work. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's so interesting. And, and you know, even within, you know, the same cities, even within, like, you, you could go a half mile and, you know, like you said, people love the, the Third Street Promenade, but you suggest doing that to some other street and they're just like, oh, no, like, where will the cars go? <laughs> Um, so there's, I mean, it makes sense. So I know Beverly Hills talked about this for a while. Yeah, I mean, people, people are status quo biased, right? Like they, they're just naturally defensive. You know what, you know, you're, you're, you know, change can be scary. So I, I get it, but I, I worry that especially in the U S yeah, we've definitely seen it, you know, SF and Oakland did a good job, uh, here, here in LA, some neighborhoods have done a decent job, but there's, yeah, there's definitely an opportunity to really rethink our public space, you know, how we use it, what it's open to. Uh, if all these just miles of flabby roads need to just be for <laughs> sitting in traffic or if we can do something a little more productive and pleasant with them. Um, but yeah, it just, it just seems like we're kind of getting caught in a series of half measures sometimes too. I mean, we've had to learn a lot pretty quickly, right? This did admittedly sort of come out of nowhere. So on the yeah. one hand, I think we can say, oh, well, now what do we do? And it's kind of a mess and it's a disaster. On the other hand, I guess to put a positive spin on it, I mean, to my point earlier, I do think it's pretty neat to see the way that cities have indeed kind of embraced this finally and are transforming. I mean, so just speaking with respect to my hometown up in Northern California, if you happen to know the area, uh, Little Mill Valley, just north of the Golden Gate Bridge, Mm -hmm. right? It's a cute little kind of bedroom community, uh, you know, 10 minutes out of San Francisco. And it's got a very kind of, shall we say, like a German village sort of town square center. You park, you walk around, that's the end of it. And there's one restaurant on a corner in particular, which had its own parking lot, which is sort of unusual. Nobody there really has their own parking lot. Well, once the COVID thing blew up, um, they basically closed off the parking lot and just opened it up, of course, to all their outdoor seating. And I had made a comment the last time we were there. And I said, gosh, I hope you guys actually, you know, don't plan on getting rid of this once we get through this COVID thing. And they said, no, actually, you're right. We've decided we're going to keep it indefinitely. People love it out here. Yeah. And so I think... I would be more, much more surprised to see restaurants and indeed the communities that allow it in the first place to start, you know, going back from what we've done now. I don't see people undoing this. Yeah. Mean, and again, it works all over the world, right? I mean. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I certainly, I share your optimism there. And I think it's definitely, you know, it feels macabre to say, but it's it's been a silver lining of sorts. I mean, I can think of, even just by me, there's there's restaurants that, you know, used to have very, tiny indoor spaces where it was just, you'd, you'd wait an hour because it only had like, you know, eight tops inside the right. restaurant. And yeah. now, and, and, you know, they're fortuitous. This particular one I'm thinking of, like they had a corner location. So when they basically were allowed to all of a sudden do outdoor dining, they've like quadrupled their square footage that they can have tables in. And so they're between that and delivery and takeout, they're just booming. And it's been, you know, probably the, the best couple months of their business ever. Um, and at the same time, you know, I also have, you know, friends and, and people I follow that, um, you know, 
lost their jobs in hospitality, but that kind of pushed them to maybe finally do something of their own. So whether that's like a, a pop-up restaurant or street vending or home cooking or, or any sort of you know, slightly more informal um, restauranting, um, there's, there's certainly many happy stories to be had, but uh, at the same time, there's other people that haven't had the resources, the wherewithal, or even just the time to, to make that jump. And my hope is that you know, getting all these people together, the people that haven't made it yet can kind of learn from those that have. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I mean, obviously, again, at the end of the day, there's a lot of the success of this is going to come down to the actual cities themselves. I mean, this requires a lot of kind of civic intervention to allow mm-hmm. ut- reutilization of the streets and even the sidewalk areas, right? So, I mean, I wonder, you know, what happens going forward, right? So, again, once once this all kind of is behind us, uh is it going to just come down to a matter of revenue, right? So, I mean, I could have totally see a city arguing about how, oh, we're losing parking spot revenue and ticket violation revenue, right? Um, <laughs> and that's because, you know, I actually realize there's almost an unethical argument behind all this when you think about it, because uh, I've seen suggested this notion that, gosh, there won't even be traffic violations for running red lights. There's going to be fewer tra- uh, accidents and this, that, the other. And I thought, wow, yeah, but if there's less people crashing and less injuries and less deaths, how can you even uh, yeah. begin to take issue with the fact that there's, redu- there's, there's reduction good, yeah. in like traffic violation uh, revenue, right? That's just awful. <laughs> so that, that is kind of one thing that kind of concerns me though, right? So, cause at the end of the day, that's, that's a pretty compelling argument for a city to make, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's certainly mixed incentives. Um, you're right. Like what, what was the point of that red light fine in the first place? It was to try and discourage people from running the red light. So yeah. what we want to accomplish is traffic safety, not, uh, you know, fining people. Um, right. But I mean, I think these are all solvable problems. Like at the end of the day, um, you know, once once things stabilize, um, yeah, I mean, maybe cities need to be charging an access fee for people that exactly. you know, turn a parking spot into a dining spot. And at the end of the day, you know, most most parking meters, it's, you know, 50 cents an hour. So if the city's making, you know, 20 bucks off that. <laughs> Have you been to San Francisco day, lately? <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, in LA, you have the, you know, the three bucks an hour. No, no, I know, I'm too, but I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, if you ever try and park by UCLA, I think you just have to like, oh, yeah, <laughs> give them true. a brick of gold. Um, but, but no, it's, it's, I mean, honestly, you know, street parking was always underpriced because it's like a political issue. Right. Um, but it's obviously a much more both socially beneficial, economically beneficial um used to have you know, people sitting there, dining there, you know, even if you're just using the space for anything, um, there's probably more beneficial ways to monetize that scant square footage. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so so um, trying to zoom in on the tech aspect of all this for a bit. So so what do you see happening then with these, uh, you know, autonomous food delivery R2 units? <laughs> I mean, is this, uh, you know, is this, I, I mean, optimistically, I mean, my assumption is it's pr- perfectly viable you know, solution going forward, but I'm curious what you think. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel a little sad that I haven't gotten any delivery from one of those cute little robots. Um, <laughs> I've, I've seen, um, I want to say it's Grubhubs that, that's, or maybe it's Postmates. I don't know, but well, yeah, one of them, I've definitely seen them in my neighborhood, um, but I haven't, haven't, you know, been lucky enough to when I press the button, I just happen to get that delivery person because I would love to kick the tires, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, um, me too. Yeah. But no, I, I mean, I think, I think you're right. I mean, it's, there's been such a rapid rush to delivery. Um, and a lot of people haven't even really thought about how it works. They're just trying to do it and, and figure it out afterwards. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's big questions about 
unit economics um, and if you know we can actually make delivery profitable for both the restaurants and the platforms if you you know offload some of that cost to uh, you know a fixed cost like a robotics instead of having you know a marginal cost each time you make the delivery right um, I think yeah there's a lot fewer safety questions operating on that scale and speed than doing you know a whole shuttle or, or car with people in it um, I think we've also seen some kind of interesting kind of halfway steps uh, like Dmitry Shevelenko's tortoise where it's sort of teleoperated delivery bots. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think obviously the jury's still out, but I, I think it's in my mind, it's a really interesting application of autonomy. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, I saw one in Mountain View. I don't know which companies it was, but just kind of buzzing around. I mean, they, they are pretty neat. They, they seem a bit helpless, honestly, but they're getting there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean, we have to all be good Samaritans. You see it, you know, spinning its wheels on a cracked sidewalk. You know, give it a little loving push, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, that's uh, human robotic altruism. So when, when the, the dark days come, they'll hopefully remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, um, this just this just gave me a thought. I wonder. So, if if more, I'm kind of thinking out loud here. So bear with me. But like, if if more streets are getting pedestrianized, and we assume they kind of remain that way indefinitely, or at least some of them do, most of them do. Um, so I was just thinking, and I've talked about this a bit in the past. The one and only time in my life that I actually decided to try LA uh, without my own car or even a rental car for that matter, um, I just Ubered around for the weekend. And I actually remember being pleasantly surprised because I'm one of those weird people who actually loved driving in LA. Like I would much rather drive through LA's crazy network of streets and freeways than anywhere in NorCal because I just like the variety of streets, the options you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you know, but so I lived seven years down there anyway, so I know it pretty well actually. Um, and you know, but but I wasn't. I actually ended up being very pleasantly surprised. I thought, wow, this is uh, this is actually really great. It's really easy, and so. I discovered for the first time ever that as much as I, I'm a car guy and I love driving generally, I can get used to this, not driving my own car, which really blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm kind of wondering, to the extent that streets and certain neighborhoods start to get more and more pedestrianized as these kind of outdoor restaurants remain a, you know, remain a, kind of a fixture, so to speak, I wonder if this will have the secondary effect of finally discouraging people from driving their own cars at a much faster rate than we've seen in the past. Like, right. Cause if, if it's kind of trickier to park mm-hmm. anywhere near the immediate place you want to go, your destination, you have to park further away. God forbid you have to walk somewhere. But anyway, <laughs> um, it seems to me that that would be a pretty powerful incentive to be just dropped off. And if that's the case, then it seems it at least implies greater consumer acceptance to the notion, not just of, you know, moving away from private car usage, but indeed to, ride sharing generally and therefore eventually to autonomous ride sharing right yeah um, i guess it was more of a statement yeah. than a question but i'm, I'm trying to like connect <laughs> the dots here to see where this is going right like do you do you agree could, it, could we possibly uh, see that uh, secondary effect yeah i, I do agree and, and I, I think i also agree that there's a lot of dots to be connected out there yeah. in the world right yeah. now um but no i i mean i i i want to share that optimism that, that people will kind of realize that a, a better world is possible and so 
yeah, whether that means that when you're getting to a restaurant that might have already been a total pain to park in front of, you know, maybe you take a, a TNC there, uh, you know, maybe one day it's a robo taxi TNC, maybe you take a scooter there. Um, you know, here in LA, I, I live like two blocks from a, a giant hole in the ground where they're constructing a, a subway extension. So, Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, believe it or not, hopefully one day I'll actually be able to take that somewhere. Um, so yeah, it's, I mean, so much is changing in the world. Um, I hope that people kind of can see the, the kind of better side of some of these things and realize that things even can kind of altruistically self-reinforce. So it's, yeah, we like dining outside right now, but like, imagine if that road wasn't you know, a six lane uh, highway sounding kind of road. And you're actually like oh, a, a quiet, you know, more pedestrian skilled street. And it doesn't necessarily mean no traffic at all, but it's just a question of allocation of, of that kind of road space. And maybe even calling it road space is the wrong way to frame it, but just you know, how do we use the space in our cities in a way that's, you know, beneficial, economically productive, uh, doesn't uh, reinforce inequities and basically uh, lets us be happy and healthy. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I, and I, can't, I hate to use the cliched analogies, which are admittedly not such a good fit for our American city designs. But I mean, as is often pointed out, so many European cities have managed a mixed usage solution really quite well. Um, mm -hmm. I would like to believe there's things we can learn from, from those various examples and try to implement them here, sort of starting from a blank slate, as it were. Um, you know, for example, one one one, I, one example I often pick on is in Zurich. Um, they have this great main street there, Bahnhofstrasse, and it's technically a street on which you can drive, but it's predominantly used for streetcars only. Uh, and you've got mostly pedestrians and cafes, and it works really well. It's not that you can't drive there; it's just that you generally choose not to because why would you? Kind of a thing. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all about giving um, people you know more pleasant alternatives, and it's yeah, it's it's not even just a Europe versus America thing, but it's it's almost feels like a thing where. The U.S. is sort of the the outlier here, where they've they've solved this problem, you know, not just in Europe but in Asia. Honestly, in so much of you know South America too. Um, it's just uh, you know we love our cars, and we've maybe perhaps built a little too much of our society around them. They can be a great tool for certain uses, but when we force it to be the answer to any problem, uh, it, it makes even those kind of you know the times when it's the right tool less pleasant because there's just congestion and uh, resource depletion. Um, I, I live for a bit in Berlin, so just to kind of you know, share your oh, Zurich cool. story yeah. there. But um, yeah, I mean, Germany obviously has its own <laughs> rich car culture, right? I mean, most, <laughs> people's, most people's favorite car brands are German. And yet, uh, yeah, there's plenty of autobahns, plenty of places where, yes, you want to drive your car and have a beautiful Vista and go fast. You can do that. But at the same time, uh, if you want to ride your bike and sit on a you know sidewalk cafe, it's pleasant because we haven't put cars in every conceivable spot. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's an amazing balance. And actually talking about sharing space. So one of the things I've been pro proposing for a long time is, is that this is what needs to happen with autonomous vehicles generally, right? It's to start them off with like dedicated lanes or portions of roads here and there, or maybe even fully dedicated roads, maybe every alternate road or every several roads. I don't know. Because, um, you know, that, that sort of avoids the big conflict that everyone talks about is how are you going to initially roll out the first generation of, uh, say, level four vehicles and having them interact with human-driven vehicles on the same road. And my solution is, it's kind of the Kobayashi Maru solution from Star Trek. You, you kind of cheat the system. You, you don't actually solve the problem. You just avoid it entirely. You know, <laughs> um, why, why mix them? Just, just keep them totally separate. And again, we're, we're kind of laying that groundwork now by having this increased separation between people and cars. 
And again, just set aside some of those roads for autonomous vehicles. I mean, why not? Yeah. Sounds good to me. Well, neat. So let's see. Um, the event is next week, I guess, right? Or no, when is it? What am I yeah. talking about here? Okay. Tuesday and Wednesday, the, uh, the 20th and 21st. Yeah. yeah. Coming right up. Right. <laughs> I'm as excited cool. as you are. <laughs> yeah. No, this, this will be great. Um, I wanted to ask you something about that, actually. Um, oh, yeah. So who's actually putting this event on? Is this through the rideshare guy or is this you, is this you yourself through what, the Commotion it's, LA or what? So it's it's uh, just a, a group of us as you know, friends doing this casually. So it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's me. It's Harry, the rideshare guy. Yeah. Um, Luke, uh, who's a micromobility guy. And then our, another friend of ours, um, Matt, uh, who runs a site called Hungry TV. So he's kind of our, our resident food tech expert. Um, and then uh, got a great designer named Tracy Zoe, who is a, fortunately my wife, uh, <laughs> equally, if not more important than I have in this project. Nice. Um, and I think I think we've kind of slapped together something pretty quickly that looks great. I'm I'm excited about the speakers. Uh, the feedback's been great, and I think most importantly, it's it's free to register. So, uh, curbivore.co. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just wrap up then by saying that one of the interests I've also got personally as well as professionally is, I don't know what you've learned about our about our firm, but um, we have a huge focus on municipalities, broadly speaking, uh, and then more specifically with respect to how they actually help to enable various mobility companies to not only be initially tested, but ultimately deployed to scale. Uh, because one of the things we've noticed, and I think we've sort of alluded to, is there's, there's so many great tech solutions out there, but it's Weirdly, for the first time in history that I can think of, there's not really any clear-cut way to get these things to market. So it's really important to kind of bridge that gap, as it were. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so yeah, I'm really fascinated to you know attend and uh, have a listen and see what comes out of it. So um, yeah, thanks very much, obviously for for inviting me. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Excited to see you next week. All right, well, great chatting, and uh, we'll see you then. Take care, Jonah. Thanks. Yep. Bye bye. Well, that is a wrap for today and indeed this week. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. I'll see you back here on Tuesday. Take care. Bye-bye.